different intro for us here on an open letter thank you chad for that uh plan it pertains to the subject at hand it does mm-hmm. so tell us for those who don't know what was that song it's called doctor my eyes by jackson brown you know this is one of those songs i've actually heard multiple times that i really had no idea what they were saying or what it was about so i appreciate yeah. you enlightening yeah. me to what this is i, I had to look it up though myself <laughs> I looked up songs with eyes. Songs with eyes. And then I looked, and there's a ton of them. Well, I bet. It, it was, it was, it was, it was gonna make my brown eyes blue. Oh yeah. Thought no, about that one. No. <laughs> and then I thought, in your eyes, Peter Gabriel. I like that song. I love a lot. that song. Should have done that one. Um, and then I, then I saw, um, um, oh. Gee. You're going to have to edit this out. Private this is Eyes. your fault. Private oh, Eyes, yeah. Hall and Oates. Private Eyes, Hall and Oates. So They're there's all these eyeball you. songs. But <laughs> since what we're talking about, about has something to do... Eye in the do, Sky. Eye in the Sky. Alan Parsons Project. I like that one. So because we're talking about some sort of eye treatment thingy... Yes, Doctor, my eyes just seemed apropos. I like it. It works for me. So I know those of you who are used to our normal intro where the I Am Dave thing... We'll probably get back to that sometime, I would imagine. So, but tonight we do have a podcast where we're going to be talking about a specific type of therapy that does have to do with REM or rapid eye movement. And it is a therapy thing called... Something I wish I was getting right now. REM. <laughs> you mean the, the group? You could play some of their music. I thought too maybe REM would have been a good, good band to play. <laughs> but anyway... So tonight we have with us uh, Mr. Chad Cashman across the desk from me. That is me. He's running the uh, the soundboard as he always does. Yep, I do. And then we have. I have right. a new sound effect I'm going to play with. All right, that's fun. Uh, and then we have to my right and Chad's left, my lovely bride of almost one year, a little over um, one year. Yeah. Yeah, I meant I meant almost because it's beyond a year, oh, not less than. Uh-huh. But it's almost exactly a year. You do was, remember when it was. Right? <laughs> I yeah. remember when it was because it was freezing cold and way out in the middle of nowhere. It was December 30. Wasn't it beautiful? Oh, my goodness. I almost broke my neck walking to the to the, to the place. And oh, you weren't dear. even wearing heels. I wasn't even wearing heels, no. Well, I'm no. glad that you were Yeah, weren't. you would have been. You wouldn't have looked good in heels. <laughs> um, so, How do you know? <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead Prince, and go out on a limb. Prince pulled it off. Why can't I? You are So did Prince. Louis the. 14th. Did he? Louis the 14th. <laughs> well, we're, as we often do, we're going off topic here. So, hi, Carol. Hi. Oh, hi, Carol. Oh, hi, Dave. <laughs> For those of you who've seen The Disaster Artist, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and then one other, I'm going to make a nerd shout out here for those people who, uh, the song Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue, that would make a lot of sense to people who are reading the Brandon Sanderson series, The Stormlight Archives. So, I'm just mm. going to leave it at that. That's a, it's kind of fits in well with that not to make a rabbit trail out of that song but when i was growing up for some reason Uh because i was really young at the time i always thought it was donuts make my brown eyes blue (laughs) wow then did you try it because you kind of brown eyes i do did Did you you think it would turn your eyes blue 
No, I just thought it was weird that so a donut would make someone's eyes turn color. That's that really true. is a rabbit tail. Rabbit uh, a shard, is, a shard blade will make your eyes turn blue, though. Oh. It'll give you light eyes. A shard okay, blade. Okay. Thank you, Dave. That's Gross. part of those. So, no, it's anyway. So anyway, here we go. We are going to be talking about um, EMDR tonight, and um, and Carol's experiences with that. The type of psychotherapy, mm-hmm. which is has a lot of science behind it now. But it we are going to start off with off the cuff as I come up with a question. And I literally have thought of this within the last hour or so. <laughs> and it is quite, to use your word, Chad, quite apropos for tonight. Be- <laughs> All right. There what? That's not our normal music for off the cuff, but Ugh, that's okay. okay. I like it. You true fans out there, you know, you can, that's fine. Either one's fine, buddy. Just keep going. I am. So we're in West Michigan, as we are every time we film, we film this. No, we're not filming. Every time that we record this, we are in Zealand, Michigan. And right now it's nine Except for once. degrees. It's nine degrees outside. And there's about how much snow on the ground? A couple feet at least. Yeah, it's 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 January fourth, two thousand eighteen. We're recording, and it's super cold out. So my question is this: Let's pretend you've been outside on a really cold West Michigan day, shoveling snow or skiing or whatever. And when you get in, what is something that you would love to eat or drink or whatever? What would be a go-to to you that you'd want to? have after coming in from being outside for a long time is it already made yes it's already made okay it's just helps. waiting there for you cool oh waiting there for me it's just waiting there for you because someone loves you and has it prepared what would Aww. it be what would it be so i'm gonna say um we had shepherd's pie for dinner tonight and i'm like a good shepherd's pie hot meal because it's thick and hearty and tasty and really warm that would be a great one for me it'd be shepherd's pie so that's what Carol made for dinner tonight. It's very good. Thank and she you. didn't bring any for me. She Aww, didn't. Sorry, Jack. Next time, buddy. Do you not get supper the nights that you're here? Nope. Well, Aww. next time I will bring you some supper. Nope. She I will. work up a, about a mile from here till five. And then I just come here and hang out. That makes sense. Um, what about you guys? What would you like after a long, cold day outdoors? What would you like to have waiting for you? Nice and hot. Beverage, meal, food. I, I'm i a soup person. I love soup. And I would have to say a nice bowl of soup and a glass of wine would be perfect. Any specific kind of soup? Mm, probably something pretty hearty with like beef in it. All right. So yeah. vegetable beef or beef yeah, barley. That would be All good. Right. As long as it doesn't have any mushrooms. Yes, because then you would be sick. No surprise to me that she likes to wine. I mean, uh, <coughs> drink wine. <laughs> she is down to half a so bottle a night. Funny. Half a bottle a night. She's doing much better. <laughs> Not just kidding. Just kidding. I know we shouldn't be joking. All right, Chad. What about you? I would probably go with soup too, but probably more like a hearty chicken noodle. All right. Cool. Chunky right. chicken noodle. I do like me some soup every now and again. That is for sure. All right, that was tonight's off-the-cuff question, sponsored by no one. We are going to try to get sponsors, though. We should. We, we should, should get a sponsor yeah. at 12. If anybody wants to sponsor the show, you know, give us a shout-out, an open letter. That would be so cool. An open letter to you at gmail.com. We'll cover that at the end. But tonight we're going to get into the subject matter. 
and Miss Carol. Um, this is going to be kind of Carol-centric. Chad, of course, chime in anytime you want. So we're going to jump in, as we often do, with a difficult topic. And we, Carol, I want you to talk about the reason you needed EMDR in the first place. So, well, first off, let's do this. Can you tell us what EMDR stands for? So it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Hmm. And so what is the, what is EMDR? What is this? It's a therapy for the treatment of trauma. Okay. And it has to do with eye movement. Mm-hmm. And so you have had some trauma in your life. And you have been pretty much diagnosed with a form of uh, PTSD, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is I learned that the more trauma you've experienced in your life, the more likely you are to develop PTSD. So the fact that I developed it, I had PTSD, but it came on again after that attack in Nice. And it was more likely for that to happen because I had had experienced trauma in the past. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but first I want you to tell us about the original time, the original time that you, the, what you, well, let me rephrase that. So when you originally wanted to get the EMDR therapy, yes. what was it for? Why did you go to this therapist? It was because of that attack in Nice when right. I was there and the guy drove a semi-truck onto the promenade where there were a bunch of uh, families watching the fireworks and he killed 86 people and injured hundreds. And were you on the scene? I was about a half a mile away from where the truck stopped, but close enough to experience the, the frightened mob and the screams and, and yelling and tables overturned and people panicking. So from that traumatic experience that happened two summers ago in the summer of 2016, mm -hmm. um, it was a Bastille Day, J uh, July 14th, 2016, Correct. this happened. And what were the after effects of this trauma that you experienced? So um, some of it was very reasonable, not reasonable, but to be expected when I was in a large crowd or in... Um, <laughs> when there were fireworks going off, when um, I was in a place like Art Prize in Grand Rapids, when there were a lot of families walking around, mm -hmm. I would have this sense of something bad is going to happen. Something horrible is going to happen and people are going to die. So the first time I experienced this with you is at a Comic Con because we're nerds. And so we went to the Chicago Comic Con in August of 2016. And we were in going into the crowd, and there's tens of thousands of people there. Mm -hmm. We're there on a Saturday morning, and you turned to me and you said, "I don't remember." <laughs> I, she said, "I don't remember." No, no, she said something to the extent of, "I'm not doing well." I'm not doing well, and I thought she just was physically ill, like she had a headache or was nauseous or something. Thought she saw a particularly bad Thor costume. <laughs> <laughs> Which you'd see a lot of bad costumes at these things and a lot of good ones. But she made a comment like, I'm not doing all right. No, I, I started, my heart was pounding and I was shaking. And I just felt like I was going to start crying. And then I did. You did. Um, just a real tightness in my chest. And I kept the very first thought when I walked in the building was this would be the perfect place to set off a bomb. So 
Go was ahead. it would it be like an anxiety attack? Kind of like an anxiety attack, but definitely with a focus on danger. So you were kind of like having an anxiety attack brought upon by the fear of something yeah. that could happen. Right. Okay. So what when did it take how long did it take you to realize what was happening? Were you able to connect the dots pretty quickly? Well, I figured, oh, this is just because I went through that experience, but I never I didn't really think there's something wrong with me that I can work on. Okay. I just assumed this is just the after effects of going through that experience and I will get over it eventually. Okay. So I just have to, to kind of just gut out, gut it yeah, out, yeah. you know, white knuckle it through and just kind of bear down and mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. So does, was that the first time that you experienced that type of a stress or that type of a reaction after you got back from Nice? Yeah, that was the first time. The second time was at Art Prize. Right. I remember that. I don't remember that one as well, but I remember the first one really well because I didn't. I remember Art Prize very well. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Um, so you, when did you decide that you wanted to get help for what was happening? It was following, um, when was it? It was Easter just this past year. Um, when somebody showed a video of the attack in Egypt. Right. Um, it happened on Easter day, Easter morning, I think in Egypt, there yeah. was an attack at, uh, at a church. Yeah. And our church decided to help out and to send a financial donation to help that church rebuild, which I thought was wonderful, yeah. but they showed a, a video clip, um, not of the, they showed a video clip of the procession prior to the bomb and then the screen went black, but you could still hear the screams of people and it sounded horribly familiar. Mm-hmm. And I wanted nothing but to just run out of there and cry. Right. And I was sitting next to you at yeah. that time, of course. And and I was shaking like leaf. You were, you were. Um, so, and of course the phrase that people would use now is you would say you were triggered. Yeah. So after that experience, what made you talk to me a little bit about like, okay, what was the process of like, I need to get help with this? Well, I just realized that it had been almost a year and I was still reacting very, very strongly to those situations. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think we mentioned it to our marriage counselor and he's the one that suggested it. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, we go see a, a, ever since before we even started dating, <laughs> we have been, uh, well, no, we were dating, but dating. we weren't. We weren't, we weren't engaged. engaged. So that, we started. That's interesting. Before you're dating, it's like, hey, <laughs> that was your first date. My <laughs> first date hey, was a therapist. <laughs> hey, bank manager, you want to go to couples counseling with me? Mm, hey, sounds good. <laughs> so is sexy this vixen? Is this an all? Is this a lid? And, and I'm trying to use the term as um, careful as I can. Mm-hmm. Is this a legitimate? therapy or is this what would be categorized as maybe an alternative therapy no. or a new age type thing? No, it's not. This is a legitimate therapy. It's backed by a lot of scientific research. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to explain a little bit of that. Yeah, Why? But, but that's a great question. It is a good question because when I first heard about it, I was like, what are we doing? Well, the, the good thing for us was is when it was introduced to us, it was introduced by someone we trusted and we've mm-hmm. been talking to for months and months and months and we knew that you know, we, for us, it's important that he was a believer and uh, not that we don't trust advice from non-believers, but for us, that added a different level of comfort and mm-hmm. security that it wasn't something weird. Like, I'm not very excited about hypnosis or anything like that. I don't I don't think that's a great idea. And so when it was recommended by him, I'm, I felt pretty good about it. 
So immediately, of course, the thing you do is you are often doing, um, even when we're watching movies or TV shows, she starts researching things right away when she hears about something. <laughs> and of course, that's what you did with this too. Mm-hmm. And so what were some of your, do you remember what some of your initial findings were when it came to EMDR? Yeah, well, there's a website called EMDR.com. Oh, that's clever. That is run by the EMDR Institute, um, which was started by Dr. Francine Shapiro, who um, began this technique. Is that, and I believe I was doing a little bit of research myself, that it was about 2001 that it kind of started, that he really started getting published, I believe. She, right? Sorry. (laughs) So sexist of me. Um, So what were some of the first findings? Uh, 1989 was when she started the research. Okay. And then the, what I was looking at on that same website, it's been going on for about, uh, I think they said 25 years or so. Yeah. They've had some really amazing positive results, especially with, um, well, the people that typically suffer from PTSD are veterans. Sure. And yep. they've had some really good, really good results with that. So tell me what is, what is this EMDR so what else do you associate eye movement with? Um, driving. <laughs> okay. We've, we've, we've addressed it's, it's sleep, rapid eye movement. Yeah, right. So what yeah. happens during REM sleep? Your eyes move rapidly. They do. And you dream. You dream. And what does dreaming yeah. do? What's going on Good in job. your brain? Uh, dreams. I mean, what you, I'm not sure what you're driving at there. Well, you're dreaming. Yeah, you're you're processing. <laughs> oh, you're, brain- you're processing reality. Sweet dreams are made of these. Yeah. Who in their mind right. would disagree? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we will stop that right there. Um, so you're so you're reading about this, and you're like, okay, I'm suffering these, you know, the the after effects of this trauma. And now there's this therapy that has to do with eye movement. Do you remember what you thought about that? Well, it it gave it a little legitimacy to me. Like, okay, so this is based on brain science. It's it's neuroscience. It's not just alternative therapies, as Chad called them, <laughs> um, or new age stuff. So when you go through trauma, um, your amygdala is triggered. Okay, let's talk about what the amygdala is. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know already, but can you tell us what... The amygdala is part of the brain. It's in the back of the brain. It's about the size of a walnut, if I remember correctly. So what is the amygdala's function in the brain? The amygdala is what we know the fight, fight, or flight. Flight? You know what I'm saying. Flight, fright, or freeze instinct. Flight, fight, or freeze. Yes. That's the amygdala. (laughs) That's what the amygdala does. Um, So... What happens is that um, normally during REM, the brain processes fearful situations, negative situations. It processes our reality, our experiences. Um, And if you don't have REM sleep, you can go insane. Mm -hmm. Like it's really important for your brain to be able to process these things. Mm -hmm. If your brain doesn't process them and they remain in the amygdala those memories at the amygdala also has to do with memory memory modulation they call it um or memory consolidation so following an event it doesn't go into long-term memory immediately Mm -hmm. the brain has to process it 
Why? Do you know why? No. <laughs> okay. So the amygdala, so the memories of the day kind of process through the amygdala at night when you're dreaming. Is well, that is that correct, do you think? I mean, yeah. I know we're not, as far as you understand. I'm not an expert. Yeah. No, I know. This is what I understand. Okay. During the consolidation period where that is happening, a memory can be modulated so that the emotional response can be adjusted so, by your brain. So the the memory has an emotional response kind of tied into it, mm-hmm. and the amygdala kind of can filter it and then can modify it, which reminds me of the movie Inside, the Pixar movie Inside yeah, Out, yeah. where they kind of like had those little right. glass bubbles and they would be stored. And some of them eventually get thrown away, and yeah, like some bong. of them are special. The Bing yeah. Bong memory was so sad. And anyway. the special ones glow. <laughs> It was a great visual. Yes. So it's being, go ahead, continue. So it's being, the you're sleeping, you're dreaming, and this is being filtered or condensed by the amygdala. Yeah. So if you don't feel safe, it, if you, and you don't process that memory, it remains sort of in the amygdala so that other things that happen, like being in a big crowd or being where there are fireworks, those things can trigger that amygdala into that fight, flight, or freeze response again. So the brain recognizes that this same similar situation, mm-hmm. you know, and again, it gets into parts where you can't control and the amygdala is one of those things that tries to keep you alive that basically is saying, this is a similar situation, this thing might happen again and we need to react. Yeah. And it's kind of like your long-term memory doesn't want it because it hasn't been processed. Okay. Um, so... Talk to us a little bit. I know a little bit about this stuff. Talk to us about a, a, a they call it a like an amygdala hijack when the uh, what? So when the amygdala <laughs> hijacks the prefrontal cortex and it takes over. I'm not sure what you're referring to. I'm sorry. It's just Dave trying to sound smart. No, it's a thing. I know this from <laughs> this is this has to do with no I, more what you've gone through a little bit, it, but it's w- not. Yeah, I don't. Go ahead and explain it yourself. So the amygdala, mm-hmm. when it gets triggered, mm-hmm. it takes over. Right. The amygdala hijack. It'll take over the prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex is what processes that your decision-making capabilities, and that's how you kind of reason oh, and okay. think. And so the amygdala says, hey, stop thinking. You have to react now. And yeah. it'll hijack. It'll take over the prefrontal cortex and says, I don't care what you're okay. thinking. You're not get, you don't get to process this. You have to react and respond right so, now. So if, if I could ask you yeah. to kind of um, simplify, keep away all of the, <laughs> the technical you know, jargon and just speak plain and simple so, for the plain and simple person. <laughs> so something triggers you to do something. Okay. Yes. The amygdala, like we said, is the fight, flight, or freeze response. Yes. The prefrontal cortex is just memory. So if something triggers you to fight or flight or freeze, um, that is going to take precedence over the prefrontal cortex. Yes. But the way it was explained to me was that when your brain processes these traumatic memories, it moves them. It takes them away from the amygdala and moves them to this other part of your brain where you store a long-term memory, the prefrontal cortex. Right. And, and so that you're no longer being triggered by... Or, or controlled. Or controlled by those um, situations or stimuli. You're just remembering 
the experience. So the memory doesn't go away. No, it just moves in your brain. Right. So basically what happens in layman's terms is something scary, dangerous happens to you that you experience some type of a trauma. And at that point, your brain is wired and I would say created in such a way that instead of trying to like, oh, I wonder if that man with a club, I wonder if he's just, you know, golfing or if he's going to hurt me. The amygdala will just take over. There's part of your brain that says you just have to run right now. Or you can sometimes it'll you'll freeze mm-hmm. um, or sometimes you'll fight. So yeah. it, it, it triggers a an urgent reaction. Mm-hmm. A life-saving reaction really is the way the brain is wired to react from my very basic understanding. The amygdala keeps you alive because if the prefrontal cortex had a chance – um, or whatever part of the brain has a chance to respond, it'll want to sit and analyze and think about what the proper response is. And the amygdala says, like Scooby-Doo, yeah. the legs need to start spinning right now or you need to start attacking. And then sometimes so, you can freeze as well. The last day of processing that attack in Nice, my therapist said, congratulations, you have moved that memory from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex. It is now clear. And I was like, oh, so Interesting. How, how, okay. does, how does Can that say that in layman's term? <laughs> so you're no longer you no longer have this stored as an emotional memory. It's stored as a rational memory. So this is would be considered in layman's term a breakthrough. Yes. Sure. A cleared memory. So yeah. what so what we found is is interesting is that well, why don't you explain how the therapy works a little bit? With, with what you went through in Nice. Talk, talk to okay. us about what happens during a therapy session, because I think this is really interesting and kind of it weird. It is really interesting. So it's, it's an eight-phase therapy, um, and the first phase is just history-taking. So the therapist asks you a lot of questions and explores what happened to you. Um, and the, then... Kind of the source of the trauma? Yeah, the source of the trauma. Was it hard for you to go through the when you were explaining to her what happened in Nice? What was your yeah. emotional response as you were re- replaying it to her? Well, as as soon as I started talking about it, I'd start to cry. Okay, it was just like I, yeah. Well, let me let me get there. Yeah, go ahead. So the first phase is the history taking. Then the second phase is when um, she would ensure that I had several ways of handling the distress. So making me feel really safe, like I was in a safe place and also had resources to stay safe. How many sessions did step one take with the retelling um, the history of it? Was that a whole session? Yeah, it was a, at least an hour. It, it might have been a, a couple sessions. Okay. Is it, okay one I and guess, a half or I guess so. it just depends on the person and, their... and the length of time you have. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, some of the things that were used to um, – handle emotional distress, also used some of the eye movement stuff to help the brain know how to feel safe. So imagery, like imagining a safe place and um, not just the place, but also all the physical sensations that went with it, the smells, the sounds, um, people you're with or if you're alone, um, just everything you can 
imagine about this place that makes you feel good. Okay, so you have, this is step two, and you have your eyes closed during this time. Yeah. And she's guiding you through this, mm-hmm. and are you, you're giving verbal well, feedback or not what? so much. Um, so you can either use, in order to get, activate that eye movement to, to stimulate the brain process, mm-hmm. you can either watch um, lights moving back and forth on a panel, mm-hmm. or you can hold these little things she calls tappers in your hand, and they buzz alternate alternating between the right and left hands and the weirdest thing is that as you're holding those and they're buzzing you find your eyes are moving back and forth and so right even just completely involuntarily you're holding these things in your hand and your eyes are moving back and forth behind your eyelids it's weird and she can control the speed right. at how fast they go from mm-hmm. from hand to hand the the little device that you're holding that's vibrating right so when processing the safe places for some reason, and I haven't gotten into all the details, but the the buzzing goes back and forth much more slowly. But this somehow oh. teaches your brain this is a safe thing um, so that you you learn triggers for safety as well as these triggers that you already have for fear. So you're tying a physiological stimuli to a mental stimuli, to a mental yes, image. Exactly. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So you're feeling the slower, the alternating mm-hmm. vibration of these devices in your hands while you're imagining a safe place and every type of sensory input mm-hmm. to really lock it in, I would imagine. Right. Okay. So another one of the techniques she taught me was to take something that you see that's in the room in front of you and just describe it in as much detail as you possibly can. What did you choose? I chose a mug that was in her room. How long did it take you to describe it? I just kept talking until she stopped me. <laughs> okay. So, and, like you know, seconds. not just the visual, but uh, the artwork on it looks like it relates to this other culture. And okay. the color is, you know, you just yeah. describe everything you can think of. Okay. And. What was really cool was it was shortly after that that I got a phone call from my doctor saying that they had found some precancerous cells and we're going to have to do a biopsy. And I was on the highway driving at about 60 miles an hour, mm-hmm. and I felt like I was going to pass out. Which is bad. Because I've had that biopsy before, and it was not a good experience. And so I just, like, I was panicking, but I felt like I was going to pass out. And things started to turn black. And so I picked an exit sign on the side of the road and I started talking out loud and saying, the sign is green. It's outlined in white. The letters on it are white. It says Baldwin exit. (laughs) You know, I just started describing as much as I possibly could out loud and hearing my voice brought me back to the present and took me away from that traumatic memory Mm -hmm. and helped me come back to reality so that I was no longer reacting in fear. So why, so she had you describe them, so you described the safe place first, and then you described something in the room right mm-hmm. af- right after that? So she just gave me some, no, these were just different tools that we worked oh, on oh, I got during okay. this second phase in order to help me, because going through these, processing these traumatic memories can be a really difficult experience. Right. You need to be able to stop, because there were times when I, couldn't breathe. So this like, is, these I are, was panicking so badly, thinking about what happened to me. So part of this process, as I'm learning and I've gone to one of the therapy sessions and talked to your counselor mm-hmm. with you a couple weeks ago, um, is like, hey, this is going to suck. Mm-hmm. 
This is like two steps back in some ways because we are now going to unearth the memories and mm-hmm. the emotions and the sense of terror that you felt when you originally and initially experienced this event. Yeah. So now we're going to give you some coping mechanisms for after you leave today, you or, have something called EMDR hangover. Yeah. Or even during a session, if you can't handle what you're remembering, do one of these so that you can come back to the present time and be feel safe. So you basically, as you're going through this, and you say like you can come back, it's because you're so fully present yes. in the trauma right. of the initial event? Right. Okay. So the third technique that she gave me, and I'm, I'm saying these because I found them to be really helpful, not just yeah. in EMDR, but just processing life in general. Sure. So another thing was container, a container. And she had me think of a container that I could picture well in my mind and that would be a safe place to put those memories when I'm done with them. So the first time I did that, I picked my grandfather's old. um, You picked your grandfather? No, his Coast Guard chest that I have in the basement, you know, that big old antique thing, because it locks up tight Mm -hmm. and it's really bulky and strong. Um, but then I found that that was in my house and I didn't want to bring some of this stuff home with me. Interesting. So, um, I would visualize, okay, there are these things that I want to deal with eventually. And I'd put them on a page and then there are these other things I need to eventually deal with. And I would, I would sort my, my memories and my, my (laughs) emotional needs into pages. And then I'd put them in a file and lock them in her filing cabinet there in the office and then leave so that I felt like. Mentally, I was putting it away and not taking this with me. So, even and, though I did, and it, well, but <laughs> to it, a degree, it, it took, but it helped. It took practice, right, it to did. really learn yeah. to get better yeah. at this. And it you're really still, does. You're still learning. Yeah. Okay. So, what, what's next? So, after that second phase of of learning how to cope, um, there's these three phases of processing, and this was the hard part. So the first thing she would ask me is, when you pull up this target memory, what's the first image that comes to your mind? And the first thing for me with the knees attack was this little girl holding her father. Well, her father was trying to hold her hand. She was just cringing and cowering in the corner, screaming and covering her eyes because she didn't want to remember what she'd seen. Mm. I mean, she was just terrified. I've never seen anyone so frightened in my life. They had they had just come from where the truck was how old, and how old heard, was she? heard the gunshots. She was probably seven or eight. Okay. And then you were in a restaurant, so you mean, Yeah, you'd... we were we were at a restaurant. But okay. we when people when the mob started running and running through the, the plus where we were and knocking over tables, we went into the restaurant just to be safe to keep from being trampled. Mm-hmm. And her dad brought her into that restaurant. Right, just to get out of the yeah. yeah. Um, so you were able to you had to you had to picture that that was obviously very difficult for you. Yeah. So the fact that I can tell you this and explain this without falling apart just shows how powerful this treatment was. Because the first time she asked me that, I just started to sob. I couldn't even say it out loud. Right. Right. But yeah. you but you got through it eventually. I and did. Were able to yeah. share it. Yeah, and I still and can what, remember that little girl's face, but but you it, your, I don't have that emotional response. But you ha- you needed the coping mechanisms to be yeah. able to even get it out in the first exactly. place, which is why that's step two and not yeah. later down the road. Right. Okay, got right. it. 
Um, so then the next thing she asked is, what did you believe about yourself in that moment? Was that hard? That was really hard. What did you believe about yourself? I'm helpless. Mm. There's nothing I can do. Right. Um, because I was responsible for these 18 students that were with me, and I didn't know where any of them were. Sure. I didn't know if they were safe. I felt paralyzed by helplessness. Like, and, and, I can't do anything. And just to clarify, these are college students, yes, not yes. elementary school right. or junior high or anything like that. So, sorry, so, go ahead. So then she wanted me to remember, how did that feel? In that situation, what were you feeling in your body? Like, and... And just describing the physical sensations, mm-hmm. like your my heart was racing, my throat was tight, um, I felt this heaviness on my back and head. Um, things started to go dark and close in on me because I thought I was going to pass out. Um, my hands were shaking and I couldn't hold on to stuff. You know, just trying to explore, remember as much as possible about all the physical sensations of that experience. And she kind of helps you dredge all that up, yeah. correct? Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> enchanting. We should do that some evening, just kind of get her together. It's like, it'd be great for a party. So uh, go ahead and continue. So then she wants, she would ask me, can you rate on a scale of zero to 10 the intensity of the, the emotional response you feel when you pull up this memory? Mm-hmm. And when I started, it was like at an eight or nine. Sure. Um, so each session, as we st- would start the, the eye movement section of the therapy, she would ask me, when you pull up that memory, how intense is your emotional response? Rate it from zero to 10. Mm-hmm. And by the time I cleared that memory, by the time I got through it, I could honestly say, it's a zero. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I feel sad. It's a sadness, but that's a, it's a normal sad response to a, a bad situation. It's not like a, an emotional it's well it's it's not it's not triggering the amygdala anymore it doesn't need because i feel like and i'm just as i'm trying to understand this the amygdala keeps trying to reprocess this and do what it does Mm -hmm. right and kind of compartment to compress it i believe you said and so it just keeps on looking for chances to recompress and properly um, handle that memory if you will but your brain your brain is too scared like you're (laughs) Well, <laughs> it's so weird because it like divides your brain into different parts, but it does. Your brain is in different parts and sure. different functions of your brain do different things. And so part of your brain is trying to protect you from this other part. One of the things I thought was really interesting as you're going through this therapy is you talked about, I think your therapist, Krista, mm-hmm. said that your brain is actually hiding from itself. Yes. One part of the brain is hiding from the other part yes. of the brain. <laughs> Could you, we'll talk a, could you talk a little bit about that or is that coming up in the steps? Well, that's that's kind of part of this processing okay. phase yeah where she she would say i would say i don't i don't know what to think about now and she'd say just let your brain go where it needs to go would your it, your brain knows where it needs to go would it go where it would need to go do you think it did like, yes where did it need to go some of the times so some of the time um it was about that negative belief about self and I would think of other situations where I had that same belief about myself. Okay. And it would pull up things from when I was three so it's going or to when the, I was a teenager. So and, the initial times this started to, this thought process and this negative belief mm-hmm. about yourself, you're kind of unearthing the, where did this come from? Yeah. Okay. Got and it. that's the tough part. And that's what leads to the MDR hangover. 
because mm-hmm. you're you're well, we'll talk dredging about, up all these memories. Yeah, and we'll talk about EMDR hangover in a minute mm-hmm. as we get through the sure. process. So um, continue with uh, your steps. So after the the visual memory, the visual image, the negative belief, the body sensations, the intensity of the emotional response, she also asked me, so what do you want to believe about yourself in that situation? Mm-hmm. What would you like to have as your message to yourself in that situation. And so for me in, in the niece attack, it was, um, I'm strong enough to handle this and I'm resourceful. So she said, okay, hold on to that thought as we process. So as I'm pulling up these memories, I had to keep coming back to that message say, I'm strong enough to handle this and I can, I am resourceful. I can, I can do this. I'm strong. And it gives your brain another message to believe about yourself so that during this processing, it becomes a positive, it has a positive impact on your thought patterns rather than a negative impact. So, okay. Yeah, continue. So I, I'm, I'm looking at these phases off of the EMDR website. Mm-hmm. Not all of it is exactly like what I went through. Sure, she's going um, in this In this one, it says the therapist asked the client to keep a log during the week and document any related material that may arise and um, to remind the client of the self-calming activities. So instead of that, we didn't do a log, but I would come in and she would say, so what did you notice that was different this week? Did anyone um, say anything to you that indicated that you're different. Um, do you feel different? And yeah, the boy said, you seem more, more strict lately. <laughs> um, I had several people make comments like, you're not as, not, not as merciful, but not as soft, not as e- easily manipulated, maybe. <laughs> yeah, get right down to it there. With children. Sensitive, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I think I'm just always going to be sensitive. To an but. extent, but I think Chad has a point there because yeah, there's, just a, there's a sense of More resilient. Yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. So during this, these different steps, one of the things I'm curious about is, do you still have the little hand buzzers going? How much is, do you have the hand yeah. buzzer thing going? The hand buzzer things are going quickly while we're doing the memory. And she controls the speed yes. of those. So. The when when does she speed them up? I mean, as soon as I start processing a memory, she speeds them up. Oh, okay. and then okay. at the end gotcha. of the session, when she's saying, "Okay, now, either put those things in a container or go to your safe place or something like that," then she slows it down. Okay. So what's what else? Are the steps have you got there? Um, oh, I was talking about yep. the yep. the check in. So she would ask me about anything anyone else had mentioned or any different emotional responses I noticed about myself. Um, dreams, because dreams become a lot more vivid because you're activating this rapid eye movement. So mm-hmm. you have a lot more rapid eye movement sleep and you have a lot more dreams that are quite vivid and sometimes processing trauma. Sure. So we would talk about whatever dreams I'd had. Um, she would also ask me if about triggers because, um, well, in my most recent 
therapy sequence, it, it was about sexual assault and with all the Me Too things going on in the news and the hashtag Me talk, Too. Yeah, talk about sexual harassment and all these different people in the news that definitely triggered a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and that that was hard to cope with. So we talked through that. You know, we would we would just kind of go over differences or changes in my own experience as a result of going through the MDR. Okay. And so, and then is that, is that it then? Or is there, Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. So each time, each time we'd check in, we'd go through that. And then um, she would have me pull up the memory and say, ask me about the, the intensity of the emotional response until it got down to zero. Okay. And then when it was at zero, it was like, okay, now you have cleared that memory and you've moved it to the prefrontal cortex. Now it is just a memory. Um, it's no longer in the amygdala. You shouldn't be triggered anymore. So in the, so those are the, all the phases right there yeah. then? Well, like, the phase eight was um, examining the process and then um, any future events that would require a response. Mm-hmm. Like how how would you want to... How would you want to react to this kind of event in the future if it should ever happen again? And that's what she called a future template. Oh. And um, we actually did one of those for my IV for surgery. Yes, because you had surgery, um, well, this summer. Yeah, over the summer. This past summer. So I am not good with needles because of past trauma. Mm -hmm. And we didn't go through all that, but... um, because we were limited in time before the surgery, she had me imagine the ideal situation. What do you want to believe about yourself? How do you want to respond mm-hmm. in this situation? And so historically, I have responded with hyperventilating and blacking out, and then the IV doesn't stay, and they have to redo it and call in the flight crew or the head nurse or whatever to try to get it in. And it's a pretty horrible situation Uh so this time she had me describe with the tappers going slowly so that my brain is processing this in a safe way i don't know how this works but um had me describe what i would imagine as the ideal iv insertion situation yeah my ideal situation is it doesn't happen (laughs) that's my ideal one anyway but it worked I know, I was there. It was the first time in my life that I've gotten an IV, and I've had quite a few, that I did not pass out. Well, I it's a this whole process is just really interesting to me. Why? So we talked a little bit about this, so I'm going to get back to this. Talk to me a little bit about why the eye movement, the, why is that such a key part of processing this trauma. So a little bit of this is speculation on my part. But sure, I from understand what I, that. From what I understand. So your brain usually processes trauma or unpleasantness in your dreams mm-hmm. when you're safe, sleeping in bed, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't feel safe, your brain won't let you process it. And that is part of the brain hiding from itself, yes. right? Right. Because I wanted to get back to that because I think that's really interesting. (laughs) It's really weird. It's crazy because trauma, we know, is a real thing. Um, Years ago, 
we didn't know anything about trauma. We didn't know about PTSD. Um, you know, they talked about people being in shock and things like that. And there was a very physical response. It's kind of like with concussions. We thought concussions are just when you hit your head really hard and you black out and you have a headache for a while, but it'll just go away. And now we know about CTE and this brain that God has created us with is incredibly complex and we continue to find out more and more about it. So, but there's this idea that the brain, one part of the brain, yeah, could you just talk about that a little bit about one part of the brain hiding from the other part of the brain? (laughs) You really like that, don't you? I do. It's so weird. (laughs) Like, why does that happen? Because you're not safe. You don't feel safe. So you're still in that fight or flight thing. So that's part of why you have so many phases ahead of time before you start processing the memory to make sure you feel like this is a safe place. So um, you have to feel like the person you're talking to is safe. You have to feel like your physical location is safe. You need to feel safe emotionally and physically. And then it stimulates that REM so that your brain will allow you to process it, it because ties, it feels safe. It ties those two things together. Yes. So what naturally right. what happens with normal life, and it's like, oh, I kind of got my feelings hurt at work today. Not traumatic, but then I can my brain will process sure. that either by talking about it, but then eventually there's some type of ceiling factor or something mm-hmm. that happens in the brain when you sleep. Yep. As the brain reprocesses the events and the emotional mm-hmm. things that you feel, I believe that's what happens. And it kind of, it allows the brain to stop playing hide and go seek with itself yeah. and to reconnect and work the way it's supposed to work. Because trauma disrupts the normal flow of right. how things are supposed right. to be processed. Because it's too intense and you just feel fear. Right. And the amygdala I get, because to go back to what I was talking about, the amygdala hijack, and I learned that from because of my pornography addiction, is there was times I would end, I would all of a sudden, like, uh, through the therapy I've gone through, it'd be like I would wake up mm-hmm. and I'd be in an, an adult, sure. and I'd be in, a, in an adult bookstore, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, how, did how I get could here? I be here? I remembered yeah. going there and I remembered doing it all, but I'm like, I swore I would never do something like yeah. this again, and yet here I am. Yeah. And what my counselor told me, he said, well, your amygdala is hijacking. The mm-hmm. rest of the brain and says, we have to do this now because of yeah. my sin pattern mm-hmm. got tied into the amygdala and something f- got triggered in my amygdala. And I felt like I have to do this almost like a survival thing. Yeah. And I tend to think that there must be some past trauma that started it all. Yeah, I imagine. And I, you know, I, yeah, I'm sure but I'll. What's, what's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you can I have go to visit go my friend Krista. Too. Um, what's really interesting is so much is fear and when i when i think about that verse um that says take every thought captive to the obedience of christ it's not i used to think oh yeah like like that's gonna happen like i can't really Mm -hmm. control my thoughts but you can control your thoughts you can decide where you're gonna go in your head and you can turn things on and off you can do it it takes practice and it takes determination, but it is possible. Well, and I think the other thing I learned from this and some of the reading I've done is that to try to think of taking the the thoughts captive is not just being intellectual about it, mm-hmm. but being more like your whole body is involved yeah. in this. Yeah. And it's really weird. And I know some of you listeners are probably going, I don't know, that sounds kind of <laughs> creepy or weird. They're seeing a quack. <laughs> well, there's some, you know, and, and I think the interesting part of this, and I believe is Krista a believer? Yes. She is. And so she's a Christian. Yeah. Um, and so 
I would be, we don't have time to, for this one, but I'm, of course, there's a spiritual aspect to oh, all this. Absolutely. And we talk about that too. Yeah. And we're hoping, Chad, we were hoping and we have Krista, she, she's talked about, she's willing to come on the podcast and I'd be really interested to get her on the podcast mm-hmm. um, sometime and see if she can go a little bit deeper into some of the science. Yeah, and, that would be cool. Um, yeah. So t- talk to us a little bit about what an EMDR hangover is, because <laughs> we've mentioned that, and I want to get back to that. So the day after the EMDR therapy, I would often find that there were so many memories flooding. She she also called it a flood, an EMDR flood. Mm. <clears throat> Because you dredge up so many of these memories that are related to those messages, you have all these thoughts going through your head of, of I, I thought of things that I hadn't thought of in over in decades. And suddenly, oh, wow, I remember that. Um, and with those memories is all that, those negative messages. Mm-hmm. And it takes practice to learn to take those messages and say, no, that is not the truth. That's my emotional response. The truth is this other message, which is kind of funny because this is what you helped me do Hmm. with my depression and with some of the other negative messages I've had struggles with. But that's what you have to do. You have to take those negative messages and replace them with truth. But the day after EMDR, because there's just so much, and then typically I would have some really vivid dreams that that Mm -hmm. night in the night, and the night after, mm-hmm. and sometimes they were you being mean to me, and <laughs> that, that's just, <laughs> and you never that's, apologized. That's never and, <laughs> true. That's just fantasy. I know. Uh, um, yeah. So the other thing is that's really weird is that a lot of those physical sensations that I would associate with the traumatic event would persist. Like I would feel aching in my in my arms and legs Mm -hmm. and I would feel like this pressure in my chest just felt like I had the flu. Right. It was really weird. Like, like how you feel when you have a fever and your whole body hurts and you just don't want to move. So the therapy's not done. No, you have processed the niece trauma, although Mm -hmm. we did have a flare up recently. Um, where were we? It was the mall. Oh, that's right. Christmas shopping. It was, there was a lot going on. Yeah, I wasn't so much thinking about a potential terror attack, though. That didn't actually come to my mind. Oh, so something it was, different. Yeah, that was really weird. Well, we'll I need get, to talk to Krista about yeah, that one. I, I know, know you what will. Happened. <laughs> so um, just as we're moving forward and you have other therapy you need to go through, and you mentioned that. Yeah. And so we're going to start kind of wrapping up here a little bit. But as we're starting to wrap, could you talk to us a little bit about the therapy the next thing that you've tackled because you thought initially you were going to do the niece thing and then you're going to be done. Yeah. That was the original plan. Uh-huh. Um, but Krista has house payments to make. So she <laughs> found, no, <laughs> just kidding. No, 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 no. no when just, she was taking my history initially, yeah, we uh, discovered a few things that needed to be addressed. So can you talk a little bit about, are you able, you don't have to, I are can. you able to talk a little bit a about little what bit. you're going through now? Yeah. So, um, she asked me, I came in, <laughs> it was kind of funny. I came in one day and I was not having a good day. I don't even remember what it was that set me off, but I was very emotional and. Um, so she I probably should, I think I know what it was about, but I probably shouldn't say so on the air. No, probably not. But um, so. Especially if it's about me. <laughs> 
no. So she re- she recognizes something. She recognized going on something was wrong. wrong, and she said, "How are you feeling? Like, describe to me what you feel." And so I did my physical sensations and also emotionally what I felt. And she said, "What is what is the message that you're hearing in your head right now? What is it that what is it that you're believing about yourself?" That's a great question. And I said, "My feelings aren't important." And mm-hmm. what I think doesn't matter. It, it, and I am not important. The interesting thing is, you're, and you mentioned this a second ago, is talking about becoming aware of the negative thoughts in mm-hmm. your thought process and controlling thoughts and bringing every thought captive, mm-hmm. as it talks about in scripture, is the very first step is you just have to become aware. <laughs> you have to the, identify the you, thought. Yeah, you have to be. You have to slow the process yeah. down and realize because you have so many of these thoughts every mm-hmm. day, people don't even, they're not even aware of what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think if people really think about it and ask ask Christ to kind of help, like help me become aware of when negative thoughts go flashing through my head, mm-hmm. you can start to arrest those thoughts yeah. as they're happening. Right. But the interesting thing is there is a little... Um, the emotional hand grenade attached to each one of those messages <laughs> that gets set off. Mm-hmm. It then triggers the next message, and it's very insidious. Well, what's interesting is we we t- kind of have favorite messages. Each of us mm. has our own little pet lies Even, that Satan oh, sure. puts in our heads, and they're crafted for you. Oh yeah, they they just they're so well suited. <laughs> so, can you talk again about the therapy you're going through now? Kind of what well, you're dealing with. Hang yeah. on, oh, hang on. Right. I'm oh, going oh, there. Well, I'm going there. All right. So after she had me talk about this message, she said, okay, I want you to go back, think about your entire life, tell me about every situation you've been in that made you feel this way, Mm. that made you believe that message. That reinforced it. Yes. Okay. So that was a fun session. (laughs) Yeah. But when we finished, she said, you know, during our history, you mentioned a rape. Funny you didn't bring the rape up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, it kind of came into my head, but I put it away. <laughs> why, why did you put it away? It hurt too much. I didn't uh-huh. want to face it. I didn't want to say it out loud. Do we really need to face these really harsh, horrible things that happen to us? Can't we just put them and let the past be the past? <sighs> did you really need to bring that up? Am I really letting the past be the past if I'm still believing these messages? No. Yeah, I agree with you. I just, you know, you know yeah. what I feel. You knew, so, you knew what the answer was before I asked it. But it's it's interesting because, of course, processing some of these things and some of those messages, some of the memories that came up were from my childhood. Sure. And it, I was actually talking to our daughter-in-law the other day about this and how going through this process has helped me see that, yes, some of the things that my parents did were hurtful to me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't out of malicious intent. Right. They were doing the best they could with what they had. So this isn't about trying to find repressed memories or blaming somebody no, to pin the blame on. No, not at all. Right. It's, it's more about what am I believing about myself and do I really believe what God says about me? Right. Or am I just believing these lies that I've attached to these memories? So the thing you're going through now is you're dealing with the rape. Yes. Um, and, and some of the other... Trauma, right? Sexual trauma and abuse that's happened to you, mm-hmm. and it's just that we're in the middle of that. Yeah, um, and it's not fun, and it's not easy. But I very much believe that, and I know people that are very much. Well, it's the past. You just—it's gone. It's under the blood. I brought it to the cross, <laughs> and 
Yes. Or the more harsh, you need to get over this. Yes, because that's helpful. (laughs) Quit dwelling in on the past. Like when people were like, uh, you just need to let it go. You know, be like Elsa. Let go and Forgive and forget. Yeah. You've got to be like God. Just forgive and forget. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know with my own stuff, I mean, it's just, it's not how that works. It's not even how we're wired to work. Because when all these emotional sensations are attached to these things that do get brought up, we just try to repress it and stuff it. And you can go for years without mentioning something, but that doesn't mean those thoughts aren't there. Yeah, and I know people who refuse to go through their past because it's too painful and they don't like what they're going to find. And that just, you know, listeners, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You wonder why you get super angry in traffic or you wonder why you get super mad when the dog does something you don't like or the kids or, you know, you wonder why all this stuff is roiling around inside of you. It's not just random. No. And people like to spiritualize and say, well, I sure am under attack from the enemy today. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's Where is he getting his ammunition from? Right. He's, <laughs> he's dredging this up. Yeah. There's a, there's a, he knows about this stuff. Right? He's going to exploit it and use it, and we have to become determined that we really want to deal with the stuff, and it hurts. Yeah. It's hard. And so when she said, it's funny how you didn't mention that, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, yeah, that was kind of intentional. Yeah. She, she said, that. okay, that's where we're going to go. And you're like, dang it. Exactly. <laughs> and we are in the middle of dealing with that, and uh, we watched a movie the other night, and um, it it's a very good movie. It's called Wind River, but there's a rape in that movie. Um, and it's not super, super graphic because we don't like to watch movies that have no. that in it. We didn't know it was in there. But this scene happens and you know what's happening. And it was after the movie. Carol was like, you know, I just realized I watched that scene and it didn't trigger me. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't fun to watch, but. Um, even funny. just even just allusions to it in the past have triggered me. Like I can remember watching Game of Thrones and I didn't watch the scene, but I, I knew what was happening and I, it wrecked me. You triggered, it triggered you. But it's it's interesting that, um, that you can go through that and that's, that's proof of the therapy Mm -hmm. that, and and the interesting thing was this Chad too, is that at the end of the movie, the guy who did the rape (laughs) gets, he dies in kind of a very justice and very poetic fashion, if it's you will. Sort of in a similar way to the girl that. Yeah, which is died. all set up. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, He's not raped, but he no, but dies she in the snow. she was able to kind of spoiler. Hello, yeah, <laughs> she, it's a great movie. Wind really River, is. Jeremy Renner, Elizabeth Olsen. It's very good. It's rated R. Um, so yeah, don't don't have the kids watch it. But you actually had, which is a little bit different for you, is it you was. had a, you had a sense of satisfaction. At the death of the rapist. So one of the things that we talked about in therapy is one of my, one of the things that bothers me, that makes me angry is a lack of justice. Right. Like this person is not paying for what he did. Mm-hmm. In fact, for a long time, it seemed like his life was going just jolly well compared to mine. Right. And so that sense of, lack of justice of unfairness really bothers me mm-hmm. and i think that being more i didn't even realize that was what was bothering me but mm-hmm. now that i'm more aware of it seeing that movie i was like this is this is fair this he is got, justice he, he got, got what he deserved yeah and it didn't bother me like it would have before so this is a 
it's been a fascinating ride with Carol over <laughs> the last few months. It's been hard. Um, I didn't know what an EMDR hangover was, but I found out what they were pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what the term was until we talked to Krista. But, um, you know, there's days. I know the day the day of she's usually fine. The day that she has the therapy, mm-hmm. the day after is tough. And she's struggling with the messages because they come back like a flood. Yep. And the messages are there. And sometimes I just have to hold her and let her cry. Um, sometimes she wants to talk about it. Sometimes she just wants me to hold her for a while. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm a guy who's busy and I got things to do and I got to slow myself down <laughs> and, and, and then continue on to try to get better at it. Certainly don't have it mastered yet. But You're for, getting better. Thank you. I'm trying. But, um, Sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, you don't have to call me sir anymore. We went over that. It's okay. Oh, oh okay. Maybe That's what okay. it was. Yep. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, sure. Why not? That makes me feel good. Um, so I appreciate listeners that you taking the time to listen to. This is a rather intense podcast. Hold on a second, though. Yeah. I, I guess I kind of want to take this from the perspective of somebody who's at the beginning. First of all, how would you know this treatment is right for you? Mm-hmm. Secondly, what can you expect okay. if you proceed through the treatment? And, and try okay. not to go through the details of every step. Just give us a general idea. Because I think we spoke a lot of big words. And I think that somebody who might not know what a frontal cordal, cord portal, <laughs> frontal portal lobe that takes you to the uh, other alternative dimension okay, okay. okay those okay not to say i don't All know right. what those so things what are, are so your, not stupid but anyway no you're not but what okay are your, what's your first let's go one question at a time okay. what's your first question okay so i was in a pretty nasty car accident you know and for some reason i remember it all in slow motion sure mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty common. Would I qualify? Would this be something that's good for me? And if I do and I make an appointment, what can I expect? Is this something scary? No, it's not scary at all. Um, it's for people that have PTSD. So if you feel like that trauma is being triggered by things, like if you're struggling to drive or panicking when you drive or... Um, Would you, know, you say that, that it, kind of stuff? it's controlling you? It's if having it, yeah, it's, it's having a response that you're uncomfortable with, and you wish you rather that you didn't have this response because of that initial trauma. I would is that is that yeah, right? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, like I, of course we're not professionals; we can't diagnose PTSD. No, but I would talk to a professional, and then there are not that many people that do EMDR, and those therapists that do it are pretty booked solid. So you may have to get a referral from a psychiatrist or psychologist that mm-hmm. will that know someone. What, and that's what she, that's yeah. how she knew it was right for you for her because our therapist, <laughs> our marriage therapist, gave us a recommendation. That just sounded like such a a, a, a medicine commercial. <laughs> you know it's right, right for you. you. <laughs> but here, there's a there's a sentence off the website that I think is very very telling and very helpful. Um, just really quickly, just to let everybody know who might be listening on mm-hmm. our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash an open letter. Yeah. I posted that link up already. So if you go to our Facebook page and scroll down, you will find the uh, link to the website. Oh, cool. Thanks, Chad. Mr. Techie. So. Okay. Yes, go let, ahead. Let me read this because I think this helps. Fire away. So um, you, you're given something, EMDR gives you something, either the buzzers in your hands or the the light panel, 
to stimulate eye movement. And it says here that for reasons believed by a Harvard researcher to be connected with the biological mechanisms involved in rapid eye movement sleep, internal associations arise and clients begin to process the memory and disturbing feelings. In successful EMDR therapy, the meaning of painful events is transformed on an emotional level. For instance, a rape victim shifts from feeling horror and self-disgust to holding the firm belief that I survived it and I am strong. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's the core of it. Like it, it helps you process this memory and transform a negative belief about yourself into something positive that you can use as strength for the future. Which I think aligns real well with even the way God thinks about us, right. you know, to, to bring the spiritual aspect into it, the lies of the enemy that get communicated through traumatic experiences about who we are and then brings it around more to what how God sees us is how I would frame it. And it also helps us to use those negative experiences in our lives to to be a help to other people Absolutely. because we've learned how to process it. So would this be similar to or a method of renewing your mind? Yeah, I absolutely. Would, I, I would think so. Did, did she answer your other questions, Chad, do you think? Yes, I do. Okay. I do think so. So if you're out there and you have a traumatic event in your life, this may be something, you know, sound like a commercial. <laughs> you might want to check into this. I mean, sure. it's, it's been real helpful for Carol and I, for Carol and, uh, and us in our relationship and in our marriage. And she's come a long way, and I'm really proud of her. Thank she's, you. You're welcome. Because you're trying really, really hard with this, and not everyone makes it through this. No. And in, in fact, my therapist has said that of the clients she's had that have completed the therapy, she's had 100% success. But there are clients who quit, and they are not successful because they don't complete the therapy. And it's very, very Because it intense. is intense. It is difficult. It is fighting. And you will have a lot of emotions and there'll be a lot of tears and there'll be some anger and kind of mm-hmm. depends on how you process right. life. Yeah. Carol processes life through tears a lot of the time <laughs> and that's okay. But you're going to feel a lot of stuff and you're going to feel it very deeply. Yeah. But you got to deal with this stuff, people. You can't just pretend it's not there. And that's when I went to therapy and really started hammering down with my pornography addiction. Now it's been, I think, four years, five years since I've been in an adult bookstore. Yay. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's because of the help of therapy and and God and church and friends. And there's a lot that goes into that ingredient, those ingredients to help get you better. Yeah. But um, I'm proud of you, babe. Thank you. So. Thanks for helping me fight. Can you speak to the listeners a second that out there, just someone who might be struggling with this and feeling some trauma, or do you want me to do that? Cause you're making a face at me. <laughs> well, you know, like we said, we're not professionals. We can't tell you, you need this. No, but, we, but we're professionals about our experience. Yes. And if you're struggling with trauma or you've been through a very difficult circumstance that you find is still controlling your emotions at times, look into it. I would contact a therapist and see what you can Keep praying, you can do. keep yeah. reading the word about it, things like that. But I'm not ashamed to say it. Sometimes you need a little more. Sometimes you need to, sometimes God does work in other ways besides those uh, fashions, which some they're great, but sometimes we get stuck that those are the only, uh, the only things we have. And our bodies are incredibly cool and complex and our brains are even just mind blowing. <laughs> mm, pardon they're, the pun. They're so cool. And I don't think it's any mistake that, um, God has helped people figure this out. 
Absolutely. Um, well, thanks for listening again. I had a false start close a minute ago, but Chad had something to throw in. So this is our real closing. <laughs> Appreciate you listening. Heavy topic, not unusual for us here at an open letter. Thank you so much for listening to us. It would be super, super helpful to us if we knew you were out there listening to us. Um, I do hear things every once in a while, but more feedback is good feedback. Even if you want to critique the show, we we, we need that. Um, we, need, we need to know what we're doing. We like that better when you tell us what we're doing well. Um, so <laughs> drop us a line on iTunes. Tell us how handsome Chad looks or how beautiful how beautiful Carol sounds or, or, or that I'm really funny, you know, <laughs> things like that. We or need, not. Or not, sure. I'm throwing He's good funny. stuff. I'm throwing good stuff out to you. You think you could throw something nice back to me. But okay. you can't okay. do it. You can't do it. So anyway, if you want to get I a can, hold of I us, can, I can, I can. Go ahead, try. Okay. Your head is very shiny. See? Still not there. <laughs> what? Still not there. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you keep working on it. We'll pray for you. Um, he does need that therapy so badly. Aww. So if you want to get a hold of us, go to our Facebook page. It is an open letter. If you want to email us, you, we have an email. An open letter to you at gmail.com. That is A-N-O-P-E-N-L-E-T-T-E-R, the number two, the letter U at gmail.com, and open letter to you at gmail.com. Email us. We want to hear from you people. So anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great night. If you're in Michigan, stay warm. <laughs>